Hello, and welcome to the Aseret Podcast, where we learn about character, kindness, wisdom, and values from living examples of inspiring people. In the Jewish tradition, learning wisdom is not just about intellectual knowledge, but rather integrating what we know into our lives. Ben Zoma, a great Jewish sage, famously taught, Hezehu Ashir, Hasameach Bechelko, who is rich, the person who is happy with his portion in life. One of the central human struggles is around being able to apply this wisdom. How many of us feel the richness and magic and blessing, a felt sense of appreciation for the life we live and the relationships we have? You are not alone. The Torah takes this issue very seriously. The 10th Diber teaches us to lo tachmod, not to covet, what is not yours to have. Instead, we are told to serve God with joy, ivdu es Hashem besimcha, which according to Rav Noach Weinberg's Zetzal, is an obligation. That said, how do we stay grateful, but also not complacent? Our guest, Noe Jacobson, reflects on this Diber and how he works to overcome the negative elements of lo tachmod in his life, while utilizing jealousy as a fuel for self-growth and betterment. Noah Jacobson is a musician, content creator, and entrepreneur. He's a founding member of the Maccabees, performing with the group on six continents and producing music videos with over 100 million views. He also founded the Bartery Inc., a content marketing agency servicing clients in the entertainment, corporate, and nonprofit industries. Noe is currently pursuing his MBA at NYU, living in Manhattan with his wife, Michali, and their daughter, Kira. Most recently, he spent a year with Jewish Unpacked on a Ten Commandments video series in collaboration with Aseret Global, which you can find in our link tree. See link in the show notes. This series is eloquent, educational, exciting, and entertaining. I deeply appreciated and enjoyed my conversation with Noe. He was honest and authentic, full of wisdom and thoughtfulness. His approach to life and learning is so down-to-earth and humane. He is someone who is truly living with the Ten Commandments and finding its place in his life, each and every day. And we hope it is meaningful. Noe Noach Jacobson, thank you so much for coming to speak with us on the Aseret Movement podcast. My absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this, so I'm happy to be here. So I want to hear a little bit about how you got involved with Aseret. This is all about learning about people's relationship with the Aseret Hadibro. And you have an amazing series that's out that we're going to talk about. So tell us how that came to be. How the series came to be. Yeah. So, so currently I'm in graduate school, but before starting graduate school, I accepted an invitation from a very good friend of mine, Noam Weissman, who worked at Open Door Media. And they create all different types of uh, video content about Israel, about Judaism. And um, he asked if I would come and work for a year making video content. And that's sort of something that I've done in my in my career until now and so i said you know what that's a great idea so i went and had this magical year of just being super creative with very creative people making this meaningful inspiring content and it was wonderful and there was this one project uh, that was kind of my baby the whole time and it was this p- project that was long in the making um, with rabbi bergman at Aseret, uh about the ten commandments doing a youtube series about the ten commandments and it was something that i was initially just going to be producing essentially but the more I learned about it, the more we talked about the project, the more I said, you know what, there's something that I want to do with this personally. So long story short, I ended up writing the scripts together in Chavrusa with Roy Bergman, thinking through the ideas, and then becoming the host of the series, and really establishing this, this personal connection to it. And so that's sort of how it came about. Um, I think 
our take on it and and sort of what I saw as profound about it was, you know, I'm not a, a rabbinic figure. I, mean, I went to yeshiva. I have a thank you to my mom and dad for investing many, many dollars in my Jewish education over the years. So, you know, certainly I have a strong education. I went to yeshiva and, and all of that. Um, but I'm not a rabbi, as perhaps you can tell. That's not what I do. It's not how I, I position myself. You know, there was a choice that and when I put on my hat as head of video at Open Door Media and thinking through with Rabbi Bergman, who should be the host of the series. On the one hand, you might say it should be a rabbinic figure. It should right? be him. It should be him. It, it should be him. Uh, for sure. I think he would have done a wonderful job or it could have been, uh, you know, a lot of different people who sort of bring that rabbinic gravitas. But the choice that we made was to go the opposite direction to say, let's find a regular, a regular dude who's sort of taking these 10 commandments and thinking through on a very basic level, like where's the relevance in this for me? And that's sort of the magic of the series. I think for myself is like not lofty, high and mighty, not talking at you saying this should be important to you, but it's my journey as a young Jewish person saying in my everyday life, in my relationships, in my work, in how I conduct my life, is there something relevant and authentic and meaningful and applicable for me in these Ten Commandments or not, right? Like it was a real, for me, it was a real exploration because I'll be frank with you. Maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast. I didn't relate to the Ten Commandments before this project. I related to them in a very like over there, yes, very important, of course, because I'm supposed to know that it's important. But I did not relate to it as an everyday meaningful thing for me to incorporate into the decisions I made on a daily basis. That's not how I related to it at all. And, and the hypothesis of this, this series was, is there a way to think about it in that way? And I'm sorry for rambling here. I'll stop in a second. But, you know, in, in, the, in the intro video of the series, the whole thing, the whole, you know, driving force of that intro video is to say, I love improving myself. I love self-improvement. One of my guilty pleasures in life are these self-help books. I love them. I, I gobble them up. I find, you know, I find the flavor of the week and I read it and I feel so inspired. But A, it kind of tapers off for me. It's like I read one thing. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Um, this is really going to change everything. And then after a few weeks, it kind of, you know, goes by the wayside. But more than that, I always felt a little weird that I, I, I am a Jewish person who so much of my life is about being Jewish and Shabbos and Kashrus and my family and my community. <laughs> but when it comes to creating a meaningful life for myself, I'm not drawing on this tradition, this heritage that is a, such a huge part of my life in every other way. I'm going elsewhere. So part of the hypothesis is, is there something here that I don't have to go so far? Is there something here that's applicable to my day and day? And I'm not going to presume that everyone who watches this series will agree with me or find it for themselves. But for me personally, truly, authentically, I can say I'm thinking every day about these Ten Commandments and saying, wow, like when I acted not so nice in that interaction or when I'm getting super stressed about something in my life and not having that perspective and losing myself and feeling anxious... I'm drawing on these lessons in, in a daily way. And that's huge. So, you know, mission accomplished for my end. Now I hope someone out there finds it meaningful as well. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Well, well, there's two parts to that that are super, super important. Number one is that many people see the Ten Commandments when they first look at them as very, you know, big principles, but almost otherworldly, like who's worries about murder, who worries about m- many of these issues on a daily basis. Uh, and so we look at them as important, but not, but far, but far away. Cause these issues, these weighted issues, maybe about stealing and they're, they're kind of far away, but these are not meets vote. These aren't commandments. These are core principles that the rest of the Torah emanates from. So we're supposed to, and this is maybe a little bit controversial, but we're actually, 
when we talk about how the Ten Commandments used to be said with the, the foundation of Jewish belief and faith and understanding, which is the Shema, we used to say them together because you were supposed to let the ten the words of the Aserat Tadibrot permeate into your consciousness, just like when you say the Shema, that you should think about it when you're waking, when you're sleeping, when you're on the road, when you're in your house. They should be everywhere in your consciousness. It starts with the Ten, and the Ten emanates everywhere else throughout the whole Torah. So I think what happened for you was engaging with it in a personal way and realizing that it's not far away. It's it's very, very close. And it's also reflective in the fact that that's the only, the Ten Statements, the Ten Commandments are the only words that were given to the entire Jewish people. Everything else was the rabbi. Let's say the Moshe, the prophet was getting a message on high and bringing it to the people. But the 10 is the only one that we say is completely democratized. Everybody heard it. Everybody had some sort of transcendent experience of of unity, oneness, hearing the voice of God that makes it such that you should be able to reflect on it with as much profoundness as anybody else. Yeah, that's the two really, really, really good points. I think going back to your first point, that's something that we found constantly, uh, or, or I found it in my exploration. I think Rabbi Bergman was already sensitive to this, but for me, it was like each debear, each commandment started as this huge thing. And I don't want to undermine the importance of the huge thing, like this huge foundational thing that is certainly important for a civilization to operate well. So do, do not murder, for instance, right? Lotir Tzach, for sure. And and again, there are, I think there are societies, and again, not an expert on this, but I think there were societies in ancient times that didn't take that for, that, that, you know, we shouldn't take that for granted, that really they struggle with that. So you could see on this top, top, top level, the relevance from a foundational, like this is, these are the key core things. But every single D-bear could then be extrapolated and not in a way that's that's not authentic to the original or watered down, but there are these nuanced versions of it that are as true for me, do not murder, like totally got it, like clear on that one, understand, good reminder, good refresher. But then when it came down to, you know, just to use Lotir as an example, in our video on Lotir it was about, I'll just give a little, I'll just give you a, a little. this is a spoiler, by the way. This is a spoiler. This is a spoiler, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you, out, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. I'll give you a little spoiler. And I, I think it's worth it. So let me go through the steps there a little bit. It was, you know, Lotir do not commit murder. But what, what is what is life in the view of the Torah? What, what does it mean to live a life? And we brought various different sources that showed, to, by, by way of example, there's there's a Gemara that says that if you em- embarrass someone, you embarrass someone publicly, it's tantamount to murder. And the question is, okay, like it's bad to embarrass someone, but what are you talking about? It's tantamount to murder. What, what do you mean it's the same thing as, as if you murdered them? And we saw the explanation that, you know, what does it mean to live a life? It's not just physically being alive. It's not breathing. It's not blood coursing through your veins. It's that, of course it's that. But someone who's been, who has no social connection, who's completely socially ostracized, who has no friends, no family, no relationships, that's like a dead person, right? If you, if you rob the person of that quality of their life, it's as if they're not, they're not living. It, 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 yes, they're breathing. Yes, there's blood coursing through their veins. But it's, it's basically like they're not alive if you don't have that element. And so what we kind of, and again, it's go to the video for the full explanation, but we kind of extrapolated and said, life's not just about physically living, it's about the quality of that life. And so we expanded it to how are you making sure that you're living in a way that is fully alive, not just being alive, but fully alive, you know, the relationships and, and not killing time, right? Like 
taking advantage of every single moment, slowing down moments, right? When we're so distracted by our, our TikToks and Facebooks and Instagrams and messages and emails, life feels like it goes so fast because we're constantly putting out a fire, one to the next, one to the next, and where'd that week go, right? But when you slow down and you have a meal with someone you love and focus on them, then time seems to slow down, right? And that's lengthening your life, right? And, and that's in the spirit of Lo Tirzah. That's also in the spirit of Lo Tirzah. Not just don't murder someone, right? So, so over and over and over again, it was these commandments that, you know, meant something on a top level. And, and again, I don't want to undermine the top level, it's to respect the top level, but then also meant something on this more nuanced level. And for me personally, that's where I sort of found the relevance, the meaning that I could take with me and be like, oh, oh, wow, that I can take that with me and that, that I can, I can chew on that and that really reflect in my life on a daily basis. And what you're doing, which is so, so valuable. And, and you said, you mentioned you love creativity and we're going to get into that is that because they're debroed, these big statements, there are people that have said these meets vote, these very particular meets vote fit into these debroed. And we've seen this, you know, the Rashi says that all the 613 are connected and this is all over. Rav Sadia go and said, you know, actually went through the 613 and said, these ones fit into this, this 10, but that's not what you have to do. You can drush, you can come up with so much meaning, infinite meaning through these 10 in your own life, but it can also be rooted in, in the idea itself. So for example, you just talked about murder, but the value of, of the human person and the quality of life, you don't have to go far. You look into the Torah, it says that whoever sheds a person's blood, his blood will be shed. Why? Because the person's created in the image of God. That image of godness, that that sense of the value of their quality of life, who they are, who that person represents, you would never want to embarrass somebody that has that sanctity. And so then it, it's a whole reflection and meditation on how much we care about life and how much we care about the quality of life of other people. And that you can, it's in every interaction, you can be thinking about lo tzach without thinking about lo tzach. And it sounds like that's kind of what of the impact that it had on you a little bit. That's spot on. Yeah, that's 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 a great way of saying it. So, so I want to transition you into the debate that I want to speak to you about and have you reflect on, which is lo tachmod, not to covet. Uh, before any details, just tell me what's coming to mind for you right now. How how is this debate alive for you today? Ooh, that's really good. That's a good question. I love I love that framing of the question. How is it coming alive for me today? You know, I as I mentioned, I'm in graduate school, and I've part of the graduate program is between year one and year two, um, you have an internship where I'm working at a, at a big firm. I, I won't name the firm, but you know, we had a big uh, conference, a, a get together and everyone comes together from all over the country, all the interns from across the country. It's a very competitive in- internship in terms of getting the internship. It's some of the best and brightest from some of the best schools across the country. And, you know, coming together for that conference, I saw the ways in which it's almost like this primal, screening in your brain of looking around wow and again in essence this is your competition this is your peers and you're saying oh wow what school are they from what school are they from what do they bring to the table they raise their hand and say some comments and oh wow that was said so sharply i should have said it that way and it's just it's almost like this defense mechanism the survival mechanism of constantly measuring yourself just measuring yourself against other people and there's almost no respite from it it's like you know going to shul on Shabbos and seeing all your friends and seeing, you, you know, who has what, who's, who's friends with who, what are the social dynamics? And 
and then just bombarded constantly with, you know, after Shabbos, we're, we're talking on a Sunday after Shabbos, you get on your phone, you're on social media. It just feels like there's so many comparison mechanisms available to us. It just feels ubiquitous. It feels like there's so many opportunities in your work life, in your personal social life, um, within families, and then compounded by social media, which I know I sound like an old person, you know, begrudging social media, but it's just, it just feels like there's endless opportunities to see what's happening with everybody else. Um, I also think to blend the uh, religion with the tech conversation, I think the algorithms are un unbelievably powerful and persuasive and amazing at understanding the psychology of you and what gets you going and what gets you frankly jealous of other people. Like wh what is it that you see, what you value in other people and showing you a lot of that because it makes you, you know, in some ways it probably makes you feel bad. Um, I think part of the approach that we took in this video of Lotachmon was maybe there's a way of casting out in a different way where it can be used as fuel. But I think for the most part, when it's not done in a thoughtful way, um, it's bad fuel. It, it makes you feel bad. And a lot, and the algorithms know that sometimes that making you feel bad makes you consume more. So what I'm kind of trying, you're asking me on the spot and I'm, I'm, I'm authentically responding in the spot, I guess what I'm what I'm taken by is this notion of how ubiquitous the mechanisms are in our daily lives to compare with with we've we've never had more tools to do this in such a powerful way. But I think for most people, I won't say most, but for many people, in, in a in a very destructive way. Um, so we, we we need a way through all of that for sure, and and we need to reflect on how we let it in, how we mm. consume it. The the Deber basically says, don't covet the home of your neighbor, don't mm. covet the wife of your neighbor, his workers, his animals. And then it says, anything that, you're, that is your neighbor. And I'm, I'm forgetting who said this, and maybe you said it, so I'll credit you if you did say it. But we don't get that sense of jealousy from people that are far away from our success. So mm. we're not worried about, if, if I see, I, I like the NFL, well, there's problems with the NFL, but whatever. If I watch you know Jalen Hurts my quarterback succeed and I've never been a quarterback and I have no connection to the mm -hmm. NFL and it was never a real possibility I'm not jealous I'm excited for this person and I celebrate the success but when you see things that are closer to you so if you're both you're at a conference and there are two people very similar maybe in the same program or have similar internships and your life box or your levels are very similar it's going to ignite. They're your neighbor. It's going to ignite that sense of jealousy and it and it can pervade a person's existence. And I want to hear from you how you manage it. So when it's really bad, what what happens? When when you're in a bad lotach mode state, what happens to you? And when it's good, how do you manage that? How do you use it for the good? That's such a good question. Wow. How do I manage it? Or first, how do you fail? If you are failing, because I think everybody's failing and this, this is a tough one. You, maybe you mentioned it a little bit, but yeah. How do you manage when you're not managing? How do you manage when you are? It's such a good question. How do I manage it? I think, I think in a large sense, it's really perspective taking. It's understanding that everyone, part of it, and this is a very cliche thing, but, you know, and I'll, I'll be vulnerable with, with you, even though we've only just met, but my family's had some some medical issues in the past uh, couple of years that we've dealt with, and thank God we're we're coming through them. But we we've had some 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 real challenges, and I think that 
part of what happens that 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 is a breeding ground for for jealousy when something you're when you're really struggling with something when you're dealing with a difficult circumstance and you're feeling like it's very unfair um which is natural it makes a lot of sense that's a prime moment to sort of look out in the world and say i i wish i had that person's life where they seem to not really be struggling with anything and then again this is horribly cliche but i think it's quite true and very important to remember that everyone's struggling with something um, and that's not just conjecture, that's me engaging with friends who during this period of my life where I'm dealing with a very difficult challenge, they're the person that I assumed everything's going well. Then we go grab a coffee begrudgingly because I don't even want to see them because it brings up bad feelings in me. And then we go for a coffee and I tell them what's going on in my life and they listen and then they open up about this thing that's happening in their life. I'm like, what, <laughs> what are you talking? And, and it's, and again, to be very authentic and transparent with you, you have to actually fight the the Yitzhara to feel a bit of like schadenfreude around that, like, oh, wow, you know, misery loves company. But but I think this the more salient thing that I take from that is, oh, wow, like here I was, assuming that this person has this picture-perfect life <clears throat> and creating this narrative in my head that I'm the only one struggling when it's not true. It's just not true. Um, even the people where the optics are that everything seems to be going well, and even if there isn't some like big, key thing that's going wrong in their life where you could point to and say, you know, that's SARS that they're going through. That's, uh, you know, an affliction that they're going through. Every, everyone is suffering. So, you know, someone told me something once, it was a very pithy, nice way of saying it, which was, you know, the most difficult thing happening in someone's life is the most difficult thing happening in their life, right? No matter what it is, if it's someone being really sick or it's, it's you know, a business falling apart, or if it's someone who has it all together, but they're super stressed about someone slighted them on, on, at a party and, and, you know, but for them, and that, that's the most difficult thing. Everyone has their most difficult thing. You know, I, I, I know that's at the risk of sounding very relativist and about it. And certainly I think there are things that categorically do seem different, you know, so if someone, yeah, getting sick feels different than someone sliding you at a party. But the truth that sort of emanated for me is, is that really you don't know. And so when you ask, what do I do? I think it's it's perspective taking. I think that's part of what's being animated by this this notion of of low tach mode and why the Torah is having to be so vigilant about it. That there's always a perspective there that you're not necessarily privy to. Um, that's what I do. I think that's what I do when it's difficult. And what I do when it's when it's healthy, as I spoke about it in, in in the video, is finding seeing possibilities. Right? Like, oh wow, this person. Put together this, but as you mentioned, it's a peer of mine who was within the realm of what what I do, and they put it together a presentation that, and I'm using a very banal example, but they, they put together a presentation that just like knocks everyone's socks off, and and I say like, wow, there's something possible here. Like I I brought this to the presentation, these PowerPoint skills or these, but like if I would have Googled maybe a little more or done a little bit more, I could have made it into this. That's it, it's this empowering thing. Not that I want to be that person. Not that I'm jealous of that person, not that I'm saying I wish I could be in their spot, but, oh, I can see what's possible based on what they've done. And maybe I can incorporate some of, of what's possible in, into what I do. So it's not this, <clears throat> I think in the most unhealthy moments of jealousy, it's this like transference thing where it's like, I wish I could just be that person. I could have what they have. I could, you know, you know, superimpose me onto them and just have what they have. And there's a bit of like a laziness in that, right? Where I think when jealousy is used as, as good fuel, um, and this is what I spoke about in, in 
in the video. Everyone, please check it out. But you know, there are there are sources within the Jewish tradition that that point to this of you know, kinasofrim tar bechachma. The jealousy of the scholars increases chachma, right? That if part of the hook of this video, again, not to give too much away, is that how could it be that we're sort of praising this form of jealousy, this this kina, this jealousy, when in general we know that jealousy is not something that we should be pursuing. And so the answer that we came to in the video is that there's different types, there's different ways that you could use that same seeing of what other people have. You can use it as, you know, this come from this place of deep insecurity where you want what the other has and want this transference thing. Or you can see it as sort of what's possible is, is it in the case of Tarbe Chachma, from Tarbe Chachma, it's sort of more of like an admiration and a pushing oneself to go further. I hope that answers it. No, that's the, I think that gets to the core of what it's saying, because for the example that, that you gave with the Kinat Sofrim Tarbim Chochma, this idea that we see things, you see, you see somebody in your life that you, you, you are in the moment, you actually, it might be a negative feeling in the moment you actually might feel, and you might have thoughts about jealousy, like, wow, like, or I suck, or I'm not good enough. But in that moment, you could transfer it and say, can I, can I grab something from that? Can I, can I then up my game 10 steps? Not because I'm not good where I am, not because I'm not good enough in some deep level, but I can, I can be better and I can do better. But I think what the, and that's, and that's the best way to use this energy of, of envy to elevate uh, envy to, to something more sanctified and something more meaningful but the the, the the bear itself, I think, gives us the answer because it says, You can never, I think, unless you're going to break one of the other debrot, uh, you can never take somebody's wife. It's never mm-hmm. possible. There's no, there's no situation or world in which that's yours. So there's no idea of elevating that. There's nowhere to go. That's just a dark zone. Um Whereas if there are things that are in reach for you, then using that lotachmod in that sense is, is really healthy. We call Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, Eretz Chemda. We call it the land of desire, but it's, but it's ours. We call Shabbat, Chemdas Yamim. It's the most coveted of days, but it's ours. We can access it. When we mm-hmm. desire things that we can access or can possibly access, I think that's, that's amazing. But it's when, it's when we want to leave ourselves and when we want to stop living our own lives and become somebody else that we've lost and, our way. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we're walking a little bit out on the edge here. So we'll proceed carefully, but I would actually go into your point when you say, you know, and you say that's a dark zone and there's nowhere to go there. I actually disagree. Not, not for, not for the reason you think I might be saying, but in that, what, what is, what is fueling you to look outside of your relationship to other people and to want that relationship, right? What, what is it? Well, at core, when someone is unfaithful in their relationship, Again, I'm not, a, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a rabbi, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. My, my read on what's happening there is that um, it's not really about the, 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 the object of their desire, right? It's not, not really about the person that they're, that they're coveting or they're looking at. It's, it's about themselves. It's about an insecurity in the relationship that they're in. It's about feeling lonely. And again, that never excuses that behavior, but it does help you understand that behavior. And so maybe there is a way to employ, it's, it's not a full dark zone. Lotachmod is like, that's a pointer. When, you, when you're feeling jealous in that way, it's a pointer for you to say, what's happening here? Where is this, where is this coming from? 
And then there is a way, I think, to shift that lotachmon into something more productive. Right? There is a way to say, let me use this jealousy, let me use this feeling to get to the bottom of what's missing in my life and get that addressed in the relationship that I have. Or in the relationship that I don't have, I need to build with the person that I'm with or that I'm not with. That to me, it's just a thought that occurred to me. But also what you're talking, you know. No, we, but we that's real this. and that's human. Yeah. I think that what you're doing there is you're stopping and saying, okay, don't cover my, maybe you don't even, maybe someone also is looking for a, a, a partner. And yeah. so they see that as long as they don't mistake that the desire is really about that person. It's not about yeah. that person. It could reveal to me things about myself. And either things that I very explicitly, like the connection is very strong. I don't have a partner. They do. I want that partner. But no, really, I just want a partner myself. I want that connection. But then there's also something else is I have a partner, but I want that other person's. But why? What's coming up? What What is coming up? Is it the way that they laugh? Is it the way that this person laughs? Is there, is there something there that then I can make real in my own life um, so that I don't misplace the desired object with what the desire is really telling me. So that is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The other thing that came to mind while we were talking is, you know, we mentioned in the in the video that the Vilna Gaon, who's this legendary Lithuanian rabbi, um, says that Lotachmod is the most important of all the Ten Commandments, and that's such an interesting thing to think about. Like, how could you make a case for Lotachmod being the most important of the Ten Commandments? Because that's not the one that would jump out to me that I would say. Um, I'd probably say, I know Hashem just like a foundational, I am God and belief in God as sort of the source of the others. But it's a fun exercise and not, maybe not even fun, an important exercise to think about why that would be. And I don't actually really even address it necessarily in the video. <laughs> but what occurs to me and just thinking about it with you now is that it's just not possible to focus on anything else when we're in the grips of jealousy. Like, great, thinking about God and your relationship to God, beautiful, foundational, yes. But if you're so worried about what the next person has and the car and the house and the this and then the job and this and that, it's, an, it's just a non-starter. Like nothing else gets in. Forget Shabbos. Forget honoring your mother and father. Right. And I think if that's so, if that was true when the Vilna Gona, if that's what the Vilna Gona had in mind, you know, centuries ago, then in 2023, we're in trouble. <laughs> right. Like it's just like, it's just impossible. Again, not to sound like an old person no, but no, or like a te- technology doomsday person, but like just being in the grips of the algorithms who are like the smartest people in the world are there to engineer software and engineer apps that are pulling at your emotional heartstrings and they know what you're jealous of. They know what you want to see. They know what makes you feel insecure and they're feeding it to you. And it's unbelievably powerful. And not only is it destructive in terms of our mental and emotional health in just it, it, in it, it itself, in terms of you feeling jealous and, and, and then tapping into that, but also it's destructive for what it crowds out, right? Because all the other stuff, you know, Shabbos and 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 forming your relationship with, and deepening your relationship with God and all these things, and in your relationships, it, it, it crowds it out. There's no space for anything else. So I, I think that might be what he was referring to. That that that's why it's it, why is that most important because it's the one that you have to get in line before you can let 
other things in the other Ten Commandments and the other, you know, the other ones beyond that. It's the most human one. And some people even say to start at the 10, like go, go, go from 10 down. Um, yeah, I, I call the, and, and when I spoke to, I guess I spoke to a few episodes ago with Hillel Fold and he was, you know, he talks about the, the, the incredible parts of social media and the communities that creates and, and no one's going to deny any of that. But I do think that it is for many people, a low touch mode machine, um, in a, in a general life that you, if, before this, we had this technology, you would still see things. You would go out, you would go to places on an average day. You might see a couple things that really maybe had a chance to make you jealous, but you just, you just keep going and going and going. And it's, it's a, it's a misery machine. But I think that the way that I think about it more as more than just, um, jealousy is any time, for example, even this morning, just packing, I was somewhere else coming back to my house thinking, I don't, I want to skip this part. I had to like, I have two kids. I got to get in the car. It's stressful. I got to pack the car. I don't want to be here. I want to be in another world. So this whole mm. being present in your own life. I think when I think about now, I tell myself, where are you running to? Why don't you living in your life? This is your life right now. Your life right now is you need to unpack. You need to get to the car. You need to do this stuff. That's my life. I don't want to fast forward through all these things um, because the next moment's going to be, I'm low-tuck-moding towards some other moment when it's something else. And I, I just think about it in terms of time. I don't even think, I think about it in relationships, but I also think about it in terms of time and how I spend my time and how much I'm just racing through um, mm. things. I don't know if that's a, a big leap, but but that's how I, that's part of how I see it as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, you know, I, this is not a fully formed thought. I'm forming it with you on the call, but I, I think that the challenges that you have in your life, the things that you're jealous that other people don't have, a lot of times with some perspective, those are the things that enrich your life. Those are the things, precisely the things that you are trying to jettison and you're jealous that you, you know, those are the things that enrich your life. And it's those struggles that make you who you are and they help you appreciate the things that you have. And I was just struck by your formulation of like, this is your life. This is your life. This is what Akash Baruch Hu gave to you. This is, this is, he didn't make a mistake. And, and there is meaning and beauty and, and, and purpose in the life that, that is in front of you right now. And if you spend so much time looking elsewhere, you'll miss the beauty of, of what's right in front of you. You know, I heard something once, this thought experiment that someone said that really struck me. It was, imagine a thought experiment where you're going to go to bed and you're going to have a dream. And in the dream, it's going to feel like a whole entire life that you lived, 80, 80 year life, 90 year life. And you can have it do whatever you want. So you can set your intention before you fall asleep. You're going to have this dream. You're going to live this whole virtual life. And then you'll wake up and you have it do whatever you want. So the first time you go to sleep and you're like, okay, great. I want to be the richest person on earth. I also want to be a rock star. I also want to like travel the world on my private jet. And have the most amazing family, and is that right? Like you, and like, and you do it. You go, you live your life, and wow, is it the most amazing, amazing, amazing life? And you wake up, and you're like, what else do you say? So let's do it again. That was incredible. It was incredible. So you go back, and you live the same life again. Then, like ten times in, like it's been amazing, and you're going for your eleventh night, you know, to go to sleep, and you say, you know what? Like that was amazing, but maybe this time, um, I'm not the richest person in the world. I'm like the 20th richest. Cause it's like, it's a little lonely being the richest person. I want to see something else. And then also like, maybe not, I'm not like 
maybe on my rock career, my, my pop music career, I'm not like I'm an immediate success. It's like a couple months of struggle, but then I get become like super successful. Like, great. And then you do it. You see where this is going. Like you do one after the other, after the other. And you see that there's more and more difficulty inserted into your life, right? There's more and more struggle inserted into your life. And what the person said, which gave me goosebumps, they're like, at some point, it might be the thousandth life or the 10,000th life or the millionth life. At some point, you'd be at the life that you're living right now. The exact life you're living right now with all the opportunities that you have and the ways that you're unbelievably lucky and, and, and all of the real struggles that you have, like the real things that in the moment when you're caught up in the thoughts, you say to yourself, I just wish my life would be so much better if I didn't have this one thing. At some point in that thought experiment, you get the exact life that you're living, the exact balance of struggle and opportunity of good and bad, right? And the answer on a spiritual level, like, you know, and part of you know, how I think my relationship with God is that God gave you all those things, right? Like th- that is reality. Your reality is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to you and, and, and knew to give to you in his, in his wisdom, right? And, and, and there's something there. And, and, and maybe we're looping back on the Vilna Gaon now of why is, and this is not my thought. I've, I've heard this before. Now, now that I'm saying it, I realize that I've heard it before. But, you know, Lotachmod is not just about, it's not just interpersonal. It is related to God because it's saying God didn't give me what he was supposed to. It's a mistake. Right. It's a mistake. It's a mistake, right. I, I, if I, if I would have had what Tommy has, then, you know, if I just would have had that thing, then I, then I would have been, this, this reality that I'm living would have been more perfect. But that, if you dig down on it in a really deep way, is actually a, a rejection. And, and again, you have to be really careful here because the risk of that is, oh, wow, you should never feel stressed or resentful about your life situation. That's not really what it is. No, of we, course we, not. We, you got to improve we, your situation if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, there's a and bitachon and, right? Right. And for the listeners who don't but know, no, that's let's, notion. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, but let's put that into, we know that the 10 are split yeah. into five, right? Mm. So number 10, what's on the other side? So we have we have 10 and we would have five, right? Right. And five is kibura ve'em. Mm. Your life is your life. Your yeah. parents gave you your life. Yeah, yeah. You think that was a mistake? You think you right. were a mistake? That I think right. that's the level that, that maybe you're alluding to here. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's beautiful. Yeah, you're I right. I think that was right. my idea too. I, I Yeah. <laughs> first of all, first of all, like... It, <laughs> New ideas will come with these with these debro when anybody thinks about them. But yeah, it just there's just so many things to think about. There's just so many things yeah. to think about when you think no, about you, these debro. But you're, but you're right. Your, your your parents. If you think about it, your life context is your parents, right? Like your mom and your dad, and you came into this world and you came into this context that they is the combination of of your DNA is literally a combination of them, and you're coming into this world, this house that they built for you, like you. That is your context. So it's it's about not struggling at your context, but working with inside your of your of your context. That's really powerful. Yeah, to see those two together. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we've been really just reflecting in free flow about what this Tiber means and seeing maybe through the eyes of the Nagon a little bit how big this is. This is big. This is the most human. This is every day and every moment. Are we gonna appreciate our own life? who we are, what we have, uh, or not. And, and it's, it's a struggle. I want to ask you a little bit just about your own experience, your own, your, I've done some research on you. And from what I understand, you have been a musician and are a musician. You were part of the Maccabees. 
some of your videos, even some of your videos, like many, many views, millions of views, and then starting your new career, you're going back from, from fresh, from the beginning, you alluded to that. Um, you are, you doing, you're doing an MBA. You were a teacher. You were a yeah. Tanakh teacher. You performed at the White House. You've been in communications. You've been an Eng you were an English major. You have worn so many different hats. Um, first of all, I'm just wondering, is there a unifying field of all that? How did you go from one to the other? Maybe, is there like a story that brings that all together? I think the last thing I want to say about that is that I know that in one of your interviews when you were a musician or part of the Maccabees that you said that you always wanted to be a writer um, hmm. and that writing was always a part of this. So I'm just, I just want to make sense of, you know, this is only like 10 years of time. You've done a lot yeah. of different things. What drove that and what's that like to do all that? Wow, you did some good research there. I love that. Only like three um, articles, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, I think that probably, it's so funny. I, I wrote about this in some of my admissions essays to MBA programs. And I want to sound authentic. So I want to check myself that this is really what I mean, not something that I wrote in an application, but I think that it actually is true. I think that the, the, the unifying theme of all those things for me is storytelling. I love telling a story. I love bringing people into a story. And all of those things that you mentioned are that, right? Like music is telling a story through, through the medium of, of music. Um, teaching is telling a story, a compelling story. Um, you know, not just what am I trying to impart to you, but why. The best teachers give you a why and they tell you a story. There's, there's conflict and there's resolution and there's taking you on a journey. And there's great stories are great because you see yourself in those stories. And so great teaching is where you can have your students see themselves in, in that. So that I think has been, and that's the writing piece, right? And that's also been my approach to this series too, right? If you, if you notice the format of this series for the 10 commandments is a hook in terms of some sort of like provocative or thought, thought provoking question and then all of it is stories. All of it is relating it to my own personal life, hopefully not in like a narcissistic or solipsistic sort of way, right? And there's always a balance there, but because people resonate with something real and true and authentic and, and true to themselves and, and, and the stories, um, which by the way, also for me makes sense of, you mentioned Tanakh, and again, not a rabbi, not a Tanakh expert, but did teach a, a class in, in Tanakh for a couple of years in LA as I was doing music out there. Um, and that's also, I think, the power of the stories in, in, in the Torah, right? Like that's, the, the Torah could have been a compendium of, of laws and it could have been a compendium of lessons um, just telling you, but instead so much of the Torah is showing you, right? So, so much of it are human characters going through human issues and the conflict and the resolution. And there's something true that emanates from that. So story is, is what I'm, is what I'm interested in. Um, and so it's been cool to find ways of bringing that all together. Um, but you mentioned- So it wasn't this dissatisfaction. It wasn't, it, I mean, there was a lot of changing, but it's, 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 there's a bigger thing that puts it together, which is that it's, it's storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some dissatisfaction along the way too and trying to find the next thing. And, but it's interesting you mentioned, I'll just go with what you mentioned earlier of, I'm a founding member of the Maccabees and I, I still sing with the group. And that's been really interesting from like a low-tach mode um, perspective, just being in a public setting that way. And when we started, 
millions and millions and millions of views. Um, you know, I think the group has like over a hundred million views at this point. What is that yeah. like? How do you conceptualize? How much joy does it bring? Like, what's yeah. that experience like to be a viral? Yeah, yeah. Person? Amazingly fun. Like when I was, this kind of happened when I was in college and basically traveled the world during college, was doing concerts in China, New Zealand, South Africa, um, going on, you know, super exclusive events and and going to the White House twice and amazing wow. and 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 feeling and feeling frankly people envious of of that experience which which makes sense but as you mentioned i think you alluded to earlier i i felt the other side of that too right like i i put out some of my own music after getting you know millions and millions of views with this group and then you get a couple thousand views on a video and once you like sort of taste that bigger success there's this come down when you don't have that other success and you see other people doing better than you, or, you know, getting more views. And, and that's been really important for me um, to kind of feel both of those things. On the one hand, feel so blessed and really, really lucky for the MacBeats thing, for instance, that just sort of like worked, it worked out, right place, right time. But the, like the, the elements conspired to have those videos have tens of millions of views and to have this business that came out of it that is amazing. And then, you know what, coming up against the, the other pieces. And I think it's related to our conversation where if the metric is external, if the metric is something that's outside of your control, and you know, same way with Lotakma, some, some something outside of yourself, am I measuring up to this person and what I have in these like external metrics? It's a losing game. It's just a losing game. Because for instance, with in the music situation, you can't control if you're gonna get millions of views on a on a video. So and there was a piece of me that started to feel that way, that if I if I wasn't getting millions of views on something. And that was a failure. And then slowly but surely, and I've and I've I've like gone through some suffering around that, to be frank with you, with someone I've just met. Uh, I've I felt resentful about that. And I'm not and not that it's fixed, trust me. None of this has been fixed. I'm I'm suffering, you know, with it the same way I always had, but I but I do think I've gained some perspective along the way, aided by Lotachmon, aided by the Ten Commandments, and aided by just my life experiences of learning where I can tell you now, really, truly, I can tell you authentically that there's a song that I, I made, it was like a Kol Nidre, like the words of Kol Nidre to this tune, this Imogene Heap tune that I really love. And to me, I put that together and I thought, this is like, I'm really proud of this. Wow, like this feels like a beautiful piece of music. I think if you go on YouTube, it has like three or 4,000 views. But to me, that's the thing that I'm super, super proud of. And along the way, a couple of people have reached out to me and said, so, you know, that, that like culinary that you do, I put it on before Yom Kippur and I listened to it and it really touches me. Like it, it really helps me get into the mindset. And in, in my older years now of 32, how old I am, 33, to me, that is actually more meaningful than some of the other things, which got millions of views and were more splashy. But like the small thing that almost nobody knows about, but a few people were authentically touched by it. And I personally feel very proud of it. Feels the best. It really does. It, that, that feels better. So for me, that's so empowering and interesting that it's not all about the big, the flash, the thing that other people see as impressive. As you get older in life and as you kind of hone in on what's important, you realize that it's the things that, that are internally important, that are authentically important to you that you can hang your hat on and, and feel a real sense of satisfaction around. Again, 
I have not solved for this. There's there are a hundred areas I could list for you in my life where I should probably be taking my own advice and applying that and be like, wow, you seem to be really stressed about X, Y, Z, where, you know, if you had some perspective. So like I still have a lot of work to do, but I think there's, there's wisdom in that, in that really. Yeah. If it's between you and God, and then even a few people, if it's aligned with exactly what you think you need to be doing in the moment, that's, you're going to get so much nachas out of that. And, and hopefully yeah. people will find value. But I think about it in a, in, a, in a broader sense. We talk about these views and we're so um, j- uh, tainted by this. But we, and my rabbi said this to me, like when I was, before I got married, that there are many generations, like, yes, you want to change the world in the, in the big picture. But mm-hmm. fa- having a family, the, the generations multiply. So, you know, teaching one idea and that sharing with one person. Like, I think the Rambam says, if I had one student, uh, I I've done successful one real student. We're, we're, we're all about these big numbers. If a few people are impacted by something, uh, mm-hmm. and that trickles down that that's, that's amazing. Um, and it sounds like that's a constant battle for all of us. And you don't, you keep prefacing, like you're saying amazing things, even if you're not living with it every second, I think that that's, uh, it, it doesn't matter when you say it out loud, then you internalize it more. And then, and then it, and then it, it lands deeper. I kind of want to just finish off, um, when I'm looking and doing my research, I love, and this is again, maybe I'll ask you off the air a little bit about your connection with Imu Shalev, but I, I, I've i taken my own, uh, through the internet, just researching Torah. Uh, we've been able to do it in ways that only Tamir uh, Chachamim could do in the past with, with intertextual searches and looking up search engines and finding connections. And one that I was able to find um, with and I just want to hear your reaction as we finish, was going back all the way to the Garden of Eden. Um, the only time that the words, because in the second um, set of Dibrot, we say, which is two different ways of saying, you know, don't desire things that are not yours, don't lust after things that are not yours, but there's only one time in the Tanakh that those two verbs come together. Uh, tw- twice, actually. Once is in the Ten Commandments, and the other is in the Garden of Eden. Uh, after uh, Chava, Eve, is having a conversation with the snake, the snake's trying to convince Eve that what God gave Eve is not enough. Hashem gave Adam and Eve every single tree in the garden except one. And the snake is trying to convince Eve that this is not good enough. There, there's more. You can get more. There's more available. And what happens is she says, isha, ki tova She sees that the the tree is good to eat, good for food. So it's desirous for the eyes. It's it's desirous for, for, for wisdom in some way. And so this story, the meta story of the human of human beings in the Garden of Eden already has this dilemma, this drama, where we somehow convince ourselves that the one thing we don't have is the ta'ava, is the nachmad. And it's just so strange. And I'm just wondering... Any final thoughts about that um, in your own life and maybe just a, a summation of everything that we've spoken about? Well, I think what you said is beautiful. And I think that's very, very compelling. And I think it points to an important aspect of this project, which is that you know, we're like scratching the surface of the surface of the surface of the surface in the depth of these Ten Commandments. And like the goal of this whole series is if you get excited about an idea and you see something in the 10 commandments which could be seen as so arcane and so out there and if there's a way to bring it down into your daily life and find something meaningful there then a 
wow, what a powerful moment to see something relevant in your own Masora and your own tradition. But B, go find more. Like it's just infinite. Like, you know, it's just, it's just totally infinite. And and you pointed to that of just like, you know, if you're opening up your eyes and seeing the Torah in a new way, there's just so much to get inspired by. So so that's one thing that comes to mind. But I'll I'll, I'll even though that was an a, a unintentional I think that's actually the perfect conclusion, but you say it anyway. Say what well, else were you gonna say? No, this is this is so I think that's a good conclusion, but I'll say one other thing, which is and this is going to be a tangent, but you mentioned Imo Shalev. I think that getting in conversation with folks is really important and working through some of these important ideas that get brought up um, in the context of this learning and when it becomes very reflective and personal. And so Imo Shalev is, again, my best friend. And we speak once a week on the phone. We have a, we have a set time that we speak once a week. And That is amazing. I, wow. Is that every like week, an Arab Shabbat or something? Uh, it is. It used to be Mondays. Now it's on Fridays. Um, and I feel blessed to a, have a friend like him who's a very thoughtful person who I'm working through his issues in life and he's being reflective as a human being and as a very wise, thoughtful, caring person. But more than that, and again, Imu is a Tamachacham. He, he knows Torah back and forth in a way that I aspire to. But very, very often in our conversations, we'll be talking about something just about a relationship thing that we're working through. And he'll bring in some idea from Chumash that's like, oh my goodness, like, wow, that like, I, I would have read past that you know, passage and just not even given a second thought. But we've just spoken for an hour about some defense mechanism that I have on a subconscious, you know, psychological level. And here's this piece from the Tanakh that speaks like exactly to that thing. Exactly, exactly, exactly. In a way that gives me new perspective into the issue that I was dealing with, but also a new appreciation for like, oh, wow, that's that's the Torah. And I think that for a lot of people and a lot of young people, they look at the Torah and they see that they don't see relevance there for themselves. They they may even be very respectful of it. They may even be halachic and observant and, and right, they're not off the derech or whatever terminology, which is probably a bad terminology that you want to use to talk about it, right, from a, from a, traditional sense but like they don't look for the torah for like profundity on a personal meaning level and then in those moments you realize wow there is something there so for me that's it's a friendship it's also a chavrusa in, in a way and i would say like, get a chavrusa right like f- find someone where where you can go through life together and 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 deal with the personal issues that come up and be reflective about them together but weave in some of this amazing Masora, this amazing tradition, this amazing thing that's that's your that's yours, right? It's it's yours and, and make it your own. That that's also very powerful. So that's my conclusion to our conversation. <laughs> amazing. And and, yeah. and many of the podcasts on Alpha Beta is Emu working things out in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's that's what they love to do. I'm sure that that's what they do off the camera too. Yeah. But just thank you so so much for reflecting yeah. on this, this deep bear. It's amazing how relevant it really is and just appreciate your openness and, and your ability to reflect on it, not in some rabbinic, not in a not rabbinic way, but not in some, what are the, you know, what do I think about it as an idea, but how does it impact and speak to my, my existence and my life? And, and, and I hope that people listening can find, can find meaning and connection in both this episode, but most importantly in the video series, which is entertaining and it's a script. You said yeah. you wanted to be a screenwriter. At some point, you said it possibly write a screenplay. This is it's a script and it's really, really tight and really good. And it's got great visual and 
we're just hopeful that people will find it. Yeah. Um, uh, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that's all for today. Thanks for taking the time to listen. And we hope this episode has, in some small way, enriched your understanding of yourself, others, and God as you learn to integrate the Big Ten into your life. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening.